welcome back. This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. BlessYourBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball and beyond on the SB Nation platform. I'm your host, Brandon Day. Um, with me today, we've got my usual co-host, a staff writer and editor at Bless You Boys, as well as elsewhere, Ashley McLennan. Ashley, how's it going? Not bad. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. And yeah, we were just joking. We do not want to have to talk about um, the CBA and the players versus the league and the owners anymore, but I'm afraid it just keeps coming up. And we have and a we spe- don't want to. But we have to. We don't, but we have to. Required by law. And we have a special guest with us tonight, um, Chris Brown, who writes for Tigstown and covers the Detroit Tigers farm system and is also the co-host of the excellent, most excellent podcast <laughs> over on Tigers SRD with our buddy Roger Martin. Chris, how's it going? Thanks for showing up with us. Yeah, good. Thanks uh, for having me, guys. Good to talk to you. Yeah, good to hear you on here. So we're going to get into one thing first because I wanted to hit on this because, um, Ashley, you, you had an article on Hardball Times actually today, achieving another one of your many many goals to write something for every baseball publication out there. <laughs> I'm coming for you, baseball prospectus. You're next. Yeah, you want to want to tell us a little bit about it, and then we'll we'll kind of use it to uh, to lead into the whole bigger topic, if possible. Um, I kind of explored the idea of franchise stars and the idea of like a, a player being the face of the franchise and being with the team from beginning to end of their career, and how it it's kind of something we're not seeing anymore, and not that it's it's been a huge thing historically like i in my research i found that i think 170 guys have been with one team beginning to end ever in baseball which is not a lot but we tend to get like attached to these guys these like franchise stars like in the case of the tigers fans justin verlander is one of those guys you saw being a beginning to end franchise guy like nobody thought he was going anywhere he figured he was untouchable and lo and behold off he gets traded in the same offseason we're seeing the Rays do it with Evan Longoria who'd been with them since his drafting through 10 seasons uh the Pirates trading Andrew McCutcheon um obviously Stanton getting moved from the Marlins which nobody thought would happen with a 265 million dollar contract so I kind of explored the idea of what it means to have franchise stars if there is such a thing if that era is ending um which I think it is because I think teams are getting a lot smarter about doing early contract renewals with young guys um, to keep them under cheap control for as long as they can. And then off you go when you're, you know, 31 years old and your prime is over and we can trade you at the end of a deal for another, you know, 21 year old, 22 year old phenom. And you can go spend the rest of your career in, in, in San Francisco. Yeah. You kind of, at, at a certain point, basically everyone above 30 is becoming like a hired gun, whereas it used to be more like 35, 36, you know, maybe yeah. 10, 10, 15 years ago. So, and, you know, to some degree, like, it's not necessarily a problem, I don't think, for the game, but it is a problem in that I don't, I don't think sometimes when I hear the, you know, like Manfred and, and other, other executives around the league and other owners talk about it, they don't think it's a problem at all. And I do think they're, they're, sometimes missing and and this kind of goes you know back to sabermetrics and you know like the the modern fan being you know having more data at their hands and and more invested in how the the front office of their team operates and all those different sorts of things but there's still a a huge contingent of like just to put it in tiger's terms tiger fans who are just going to go to the park and be upset next year that justin verlander isn't there like it's it's one of those things that really does burn you especially if your team isn't good yeah, I touched on that too in the like the packaging of the Tiger season tickets 
and they were sent out with no players on them. Like, there was no marketing of any players. Because at the time, it was up in the air if maybe Michael Fulmer was going to get traded. And I guess they didn't want to send anything out with a star who might not be there. But the fact that you're not even sending out promo material with Miguel Cabrero's face on it is insane to me. Like, you're just saying, okay, here you go. You don't know anybody who plays for us anymore, but please buy our tickets. And I... I think, like, in an er- in an effort for, for teams to, have, like, have what's new and hot and cheap, they're overlooking that that one fan contingent, which is a huge number of people who are there for their favorite player. And I, I think making decisions that are smart from a baseball point of view does kind of tend to feel like a, a slap in the face to people like that. Yeah, and it kind of goes also to, you know, just... Something we've complained about a lot is just that, you know, uh, Major League Baseball, compared to some other sports, isn't great at marketing their stars to begin with. And and both of these two things kind of feel a little bit like they, they don't necessarily recognize that, you know, a great many fans are are still kind of just attached to the player themselves, even if it's not a great player. Um, and, you know, maybe this won't hurt the league. Maybe everyone just gets used to it. Um, you know, everybody in Tiger, Tiger land is going to have to go out there and find someone new to root for. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing that I, it, it kind of keeps sort of like steadily becoming more and more of a, of a, a certainty that your, your favorite player is not going to be around that much longer. Um, and that's something that, you know, football obviously deals with where players, you know, typically only, only last a couple seasons, but, but it's definitely taken a, you know, a much bigger kind of place in baseball. Chris, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, obviously this has been something that's that, that's kind of coming and there haven't been too many franchise players left, but does it mean anything to the game that there's there's less of these kinds of guys around anymore? You know, I think it does mean a little bit. It, it There's something to be said for having that guy on your team for so long. You feel like you grew up with him or you feel like you watched him grow up. Um, you know, I think people like in Seattle, I'm sure they, they might not be terribly happy with, Felix Hernandez right now, the way his career has sort of ended recently, but mm-hmm. I'm sure they'd be sad if he were somewhere else. Um, and, and it is kind of strange the way we get attached to players, the way that, that watching Justin Verlander for 12 years can make us root for the Astros all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I, I think there's something really cool about a, a player who gets to stay in one market, you know, becomes their home. I mean, that's, that's, Al Kaline's from Baltimore, but he's you know Mr. Tiger mm-hmm. because he played here his whole career, and, and so there's there's something cool about that, and it's a shame that it doesn't happen more often. But yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I, we're I think all... sometimes it's just the realities of the of the business. Yeah, which is becoming the... yeah, more and more prominent. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Ashley. I was going to say that it's funny that you mentioned Al Kaline because I noticed that there are a lot of Tigers guys who did their whole career. Like we were talking about Bill Freehan last week, but mm. like. Trammell spent his whole career there. Whitaker spent his whole career there. So it's not, it, it, like, it almost feels like a Detroit thing, right? To keep that homegrown guy and you keep him until the very, very end. And I think that's kind of what made Verlander's trade feel a little bit extra harsh. Yeah, I actually had a friend yeah. email me when Verlander got traded and basically, you know, his take on it was this is, you know, this is the end of like old school baseball. You know, you're never going to see anybody like that again. And it, it did feel like, you know, Detroit, it was kind of perfect that you wrote that article because Detroit was sort of like the last holdout as far as as far as having, you know, multiple guys. I mean, Miguel Cabrera isn't quite that guy, but he's going to be around the rest of the way. <laughs> I think we know that much mm-hmm. at least. 
And let's see. Yeah, and, and that just kind of for, to take that and just sort of lead it into the you know just the ongoing war that seems to be developing between um, the owners, Major League Baseball, and the Players Association, and Scott Boris in particular, and some of the other agents are out there. Um, we really did have like a kind of a, another major shot fired, and I think you know we'd all love to just see this end and and not have to talk about this week after week. It's a lot more fun when we're talking about players getting signed. Um, when we're talking about teams getting better, trying to figure out like, you know, what final piece would, you know, get the Cardinals back up to, you know, to where you could really see them taking down the Cubs and holding off the Brewers. Um, but that's that's not where we're, we're at yet. <laughs> we're still still listening to Scott Boris. And in this case, um, Major League Baseball's chief legal officer, Dan Halam, go back and forth um, via Twitter. And I don't I don't know where else between the media, but um Scott Boris basically, you know, ha- has been just taking all the owners to task for, you know, the the fact that tanking is becoming a, a, a predominant strategy in the game at this point, and teams are using, you know, the concept of the rebuild to sell off all their pieces, strip the payroll down to the bare roots, and turn things around. And we've kind of talked about this at length, so I don't want to belabor it too much. But what Halams kind of came back and said was that it was basically that. Um, you know, if Mr. Boris here, I'm going to quote him directly. If Mr. Boris spent as much time working on getting his players signed as he does issuing inflammatory and instantiated statements to the press, perhaps the events of this offseason would be different. Um, that's, <laughs> that's just that's just like schoolyard uh, s talking. I don't know. Can we swear on this podcast? Yeah. yeah go oh ahead. yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, it's schoolyard shit talking. That's that's him. Nobody questions Scott Boris's worth at work ethic. No. I mean, or his, you know, his how hard he goes to get his players signed. That's just, yeah. that's just shit talking. I mean, it really yeah, did come yeah, off like a Facebook comment. You know, yeah. it was really kind of how people responded to it. So stupid. Like anybody who's like, yeah, if Scott Boris worked harder, like say what you will about Scott Boris, but that man is out there asking for those eight and nine figure like ten year deals for his guys. There's nobody who goes to town harder for their players. Yeah, and and then the key, the real kicker to this one that that was just special was Major League Baseball replying and talking about how there were all these you know nine and ten figure offers out there and that players wouldn't take them, which of course puts their foot in their mouth and walks right into the trap of of you know verging on sounding like collusion because Major League Baseball isn't supposed to know what all the offers are, <laughs> the owners aren't mm-hmm. supposed to know you know who's who's getting wh- what offer, um, and that was of course one of the major you know, kind of sticking points to the collusion arguments of the late 80s is that the, you know, the owners all had kind of a sheet of, you know, th- this guy, this, these are what the offers that have been made this year. They knew what, what every player had been offered. And because of that, they were, they were able to help suppress free agent salaries. And so to even kind of come close to that and talking about that just kind of gave Boris another, you know, another needle to, to stick in him, unfortunately. And um, I don't know, I mean, some of these deals, you know, that, that people are asking for do seem like, ridiculous to me like i didn't really expect jd martinez was going to get much more than 100 million and i certainly wouldn't pay eric hosmer much more than that um so we're it's not even a... the amount for hosmer it's the number of years yeah, that people are talking years? yeah like eight or nine year deals <laughs> and that's outrageous He's for hosmer like i'm sorry but you're you're hoping for maybe four solid seasons out of him at this point Yep. Like we, we anything this... over five years is a joke. Yeah. Yeah. I have to agree. I mean, Eric Hosmer, you know, has been a pretty good player for a couple of years, but he doesn't, you know, he hasn't consistently put up, you know, like anything approaching MVP numbers. He's only had like a couple of really above average seasons. 
Um, you know, he's 28. He's, he's a solid player, but he's also a first baseman, which uh, is not, not the hottest commodity generally unless you are out there hitting, at this point, 50 home runs. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it just feels like a weird – it's just a weird thing because there's a really good argument to make that, um, you know, pl- the player share of revenue is declining – but the guys who are turning down these offers are, aren't making a very good case for themselves from the standpoint that they're asking for money that I think most fans think is just, just insane for the quality of player that's out there. Um, Chris, could you, could, could you possibly see paying Eric Hosmer somewhere in the neighborhood $150, $160 million over eight years? Or is that just, that's insanity, isn't it? I, yeah, I can't, you know, that's MVP player money, and he is a good, solid Major League player. Um, that's yeah i mean that's that's the weird thing it's it's kind of annoying on all sides is is that the players are expecting the free agency market to continue to grow as it has um which is you know maybe that's reasonable but it's kind of obvious that it's not uh but it seems like that the the gulf between what they want and and like the owners are coming in so much lower than even like a nice compromise so it's it's and it seems like it happened just in one year like i i don't maybe there were signs of this last year but i didn't really i can't really remember i mean it wasn't a great free agent class but um yeah and i think when the cba you know when the cba was signed there was definitely some you know some chatter that they'd given away you know quite a bit like in the international market um but yeah, it wasn't so much that, you know, like, all oh, players really screwed themselves, you know, the actual, like, guys who were eligible for free agency. But here we are. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's that, that sort of, you know, de facto salary cap seems to have stopped these, uh, you know, Yankees, Dodgers teams that are going, pushing it to the brink from, from signing anybody. And that, if anything, that sort of raises the eyebrows because why you know why are these teams all suddenly i, mean, I guess because there's n- new penalties but it just seems weird that they're all like nope we're not gonna we're not gonna go past the uh the luxury tax again yeah and it's it all at the same time yeah and it kind of comes right at the the point where the yankees the dodgers you know, like the the big boys the red sox are pretty close to it are all all really kind of you know it, they're i don't really consider them constrained because they could easily just keep spending and not not yeah. bad an eye but by the same token, that's that's their rationale, you know. And that, obviously, there's the free agent class of next year with guys like Machado and Harper, and yeah. maybe you know, maybe this is just a one year blip, you know. Um, maybe maybe everybody comes out next year and big deals are getting signed and everything suddenly looks perfectly normal. It's just it's really hard to say. But we're you know basically a week from pitchers and catchers reporting, and there's you know something like seventy or eighty like actual like legit free agents out there available. It's um it's kind well, of I mean, all. Like, all the pitchers, the major pitchers are still available. And I think the Minnesota Twins right now are shitting themselves because Urban <laughs> Santana is out for three months at least. And you know they want Darvish. And what are at this point, I feel like that team's just going to be like, just do whatever the agent says. Like, they need two starting pitchers at this point. And at some point, something's got to break. Like, if teams want to be competitive, they need to pick up these players. Because right now, I think our own manager, Rob, said what if, if Santana's out, the Tigers are suddenly looking like the second best team in the AL Central. <laughs> At least possibly. Even with, yeah. our, like, with our sh- shit lineup. So, like, something's got to give. And it's got to give soon. Yeah. 
It would be hilarious if we went out and just like signed Darvish and like just just took him right out of everybody's hands. Oh and my JD. god! Just pull a dump truck of money up to somebody's house and say, "Would you like to play for us for a year?" Like, yeah. why not? Thirty million. Yep. Yep. JD, can, we'll the give team can afford it. Just do it. Yeah, I mean they mm-hmm. cut payroll by almost a hundred million. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Compared to where they were starting out last year, so yeah, they could they could drop fifty. Come on, Chris Illich, what's fifty million? Uh, Keep you under the threshold. Just go. Just do it. Yeah. Find someone. Do do something. I know. I would just like to see some action. I mean, obviously, it's it's crazy to think of the Tigers like doing anything nuts like that and trying to compete. But it is kind of a fun thought exercise to think like, okay, I have you have fifty million dollars to spend. Like, what what would you get? <laughs> what would you what well, would part you want to do? Like, almost looks at it from a perspective of like, what can a player like that teach the young guys? Like. Like, go out, spend the money, and be like, what can having a guy like Jake Arrieta or you Darvish on the team for a year teach this squad of young pitchers? Like, is that not, in and of itself, maybe worth $50 million? I don't know. I'm not spending $50 million. It's not coming out of my bank account. So, like, in my imaginary world, <laughs> sure. Why, why wouldn't having a guy like that on your team for a season be beneficial beyond just the name draw in fans coming in? And, which would be huge. And just having that prestige and maybe getting you a couple more games up if tanking really isn't a concern. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. It would just make for some more interesting baseball. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the, the real, like, the real crux of it would be to figure out a way to get a couple of those free agents cheap that were actually flippable. I mean, that that's that's mm-hmm. really the dream. Like, okay, maybe we would have a good first half and you could think about it. But if you pulled, um, if you pulled enough guys who, you know, like, if you could sign a reliever... Uh, maybe a starter and, I don't know, Carlos Gonzalez or something, although corner outfielders seem like, unless you're just an absolute monster, no one is going to give up much for you at this point. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I just can't. It just seems like the Tigers are... It really feels like the Tigers are done. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if the Tigers are even, like, paying any attention to this. <laughs> yeah, it does feel that way. That Yeah, I mean, part of me just wants them to sign every decent reliever that's left. Mm-hmm. And just, like, who cares? Because like, who's... Do they really have that established of a bullpen at this point? Yeah, no. Uh, we could sign Lance Lynn. Guys, yeah. Convert. Yeah. Well, especially if Wilson's working for a, a starter position. You have a bunch of people that we couldn't even like just off the fly remember half of the people in the Tigers bullpen. Pen. We were like, Warwick Southold, he's still around, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, there's some good arms, but yeah. I think, and it's possible, maybe the Tigers have considered that, but, you know, from the player's perspective, they want to do whatever they can to avoid a one-year deal. Just, you know, you, everybody everybody wants that uh, the security, and also they don't want to be uh, caught up in next year's free agent class, probably. Yeah, that's true, too. You're, you're kind of getting run over a truck by a truck if you have to, yeah, kind of go out there and compete with those guys. Couldn't help noticing, you know, I mean, Alex Avila is not a super valuable player, but we did talk about this last week that he's been worth, I think, 3.5 war by, by Fangraph's calculation over the past two years. And, mm-hmm. you know, he got, what, $4 million a year for two years? And it seemed like it was just like, can I just have some security? <laughs> can I just, like, raise my yeah. family in the desert for two years and not have to bounce all over the place? So there's a value to that, too, for sure. Well, the, the Todd Frazier deal that we sort of joked about earlier, I mean, was it two years and $17 million total? I think that's it, yep. That's yeah, I think he's put up six wins over the last two years. And he's yeah. what, it's thirty two? It's I mean, I would expect more like three years and forty million or something like that. But right, it seemed really low. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it just doesn't feel like there's there's really any remedy for this until the you know the, the next CBA is negotiated. And and one like surprising absence to all this has really been Tony Clark, who you know I've seen like make you know one or two small statements, but really it's you know it's the agents, it's Scott Boris out there acting like the MLBPA you know head screaming at the owners and and the league and and really getting upset about this. Um, when at the end, I mean, it is going to come back to the players having to kind of look at themselves and saying, hey, you know, you basically allowed a salary cap, you know, the thing that, you know, Don Fair, who was the, you know, the MLBPA union chief for a really long time and who was an absolute warrior would always said would never happen. And they allowed it, you know, they allowed it to happen. Um, you know, the, the only real concessions they got were whatever, like seats on the bus, extra seats on buses when they're traveling and, you know, a chef and things like that. They were, they were kind of focused on those quality of life things that are kind of small potatoes when all of a sudden they all turn around and realize like, Oh, you know, nobody's, nobody's really going crazy to pay Lance Lynn $80 million or you Darvish, you know, I don't even know what you Darvish wants at this point. You would think after uh, blowing up in the world series, like he did, he might be a little bit more moderate in his desires, (laughs) but uh, maybe he just wants to go where he wants to go. You know, that could be it too. Maybe he just won't play for the twins. I I don't know, but the twins definitely, um, their plans for contending are, are definitely on hold at the moment. In my opinion, I was already kind of sketchy about that pitching staff and, yeah, right now they've got Barrios and a couple of decent arms. That's that's kind of it. So yeah, with Santana out, that's a huge blow for them. Yep. All right, so we're going to turn it over to the to the prospect season because this has been like the deluge of top hundred lists, top ten team lists from Baseball Prospectus, Baseball America, Keith Law at ESPN, mm-hmm. and then finally Fangraphs came out yesterday and and just kind of felt like they just kicked me in the gut. A little bit. <laughs> I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't expecting huge rankings. But um, Chris, were you were you surprised to see that Franklin Perez snuck in there at one hundredth at the only as the only prospect they had listed? Yeah, I was, but mostly uh, just because you you get a general sense from all the other lists of where about where he'll be. You know, the the first ones that came out were I think was was Baseball America, and he was the the top forty, I think. Yeah, they had him thirty five. Yeah. He's been progressively lower on every other list, so it's like, huh, what's happening? <laughs> but um, it is nice to talk about players uh, where money's not um, uh, an issue because they don't pay them. Yeah, it's um, just value, yep. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, you know, one of the, the, the things about fan graphs, uh, though, I, that I, I like the way they do it, is they lay it out by potential, like, overall future value in the future. Yeah. I guess that's redundant, but so... You know they've got you know Otani. I think as they have as the one you know potential seventy value player, roll seven player, whatever. But uh, so when you get down to like the thirties and forties, they have basically have all those guys as a future a future major league average player. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like I think they added another thirty guys in there and in in, in there where they had uh, Bo Burrows and Matt Manning and Kristen Stewart. So I mean you could look at it like oh man they they they're have have him as the hundredth best prospect. That's kind of lame. Or you could just look at it as they think the Tigers have four guys who are going to be average major leaguers in the future, which yeah. I think feels a lot better. Um, yeah, as I pointed it, out, like the number, I think their number forty third ranked prospect was a fifty future value in that the first one in that fifty future value tier, and that all that went all the way down to like player one hundred and thirty six on their their ranking. So, yeah, and and that's you know, I like these top 100 lists because it's fun it spurs conversation and it's interesting to look at these players and, and learn more about them but it's really pointless yeah <laughs> like like <laughs> you know it's a man-made construct 
there's nothing that they're what they're six thousand minor league players every season. Uh, you know, being the top one hundred is pretty pretty legit. Uh, but but yeah, when like uh, I was looking, Aaron Judge last year, Baseball America had him as the ninetieth best prospect in baseball. Yeah, and and then he went out and hit seven million home runs. It, it was an eight win season. So it's it's like, you know, I, I think prospect rankings matter in in the aggregate. You know, you know, it's better to have more good prospects, more highly ranked prospects. It's sort of like you know, college football recruiting. Yeah, but it doesn't really mean anything to an individual player. I, I, you know, guys can vastly overperform or underperform their rankings. Like you could, you could take any name off that list, and I could give you a a, a scenario where he completely busts or where he becomes a superstar. Basically, yeah. Not, yeah, not I mean, any not, not any name could be a superstar, but you know, and you overdo their projection. Well, and so much of it is is what's being seen and what's being reported too, right? Like, oh, with the Tigers, everyone's like, "Where's Alex Fado on these lists?" But he didn't pitch anywhere, so mm-hmm. if nobody's seeing him and seeing what stuff he has, he's not going to make any lists. But that doesn't make him any less valuable than the prospect he was when the Tigers picked him up in the draft. So, yep, it is. Yeah, there, and, and, there is something about where, you know when you see someone. I'm obviously you know Matt Manning has been a little bit of a controversial one just because a lot of people saw him early in the year, um, staying in extended spring training and then going to Connecticut where his velocity wasn't you know kind of nearly what people were expecting to see from him and he was a little bit stiff and stuff. And then you know so you, so you get all these like you know reports you know like ah you know he's he's he looks like he's you know way too mechanical out there. He's not throwing hard. Um, you know the 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 curveball hasn't come along. And then I talked to people, you know, in Grand Rapids who watched, you know, his last, you know, two or three of his last couple starts. And they're just like, oh, I've never seen anything like it. You know, he was absolutely dominant. <laughs> so it, it really does, you know, there is so much variability because we're talking about variable people. These are prospects who are still learning, learning the game and you can value them based on what you think their, their potential, you know, max potential is, or you can value them on what you think is likely. There's kind of so many ways to go about it. And one of the reasons I do like Fangraphs a lot um, and why they're one of the ones that I, I do kind of hold up a little higher than the rest is just because of the way that they, they sort of articulate their, you know, th- their system for ranking players and, and what they're conservative about and what they're not. Um, so, you know, but again, like Matt Manning comes out next year and is on fire, you know, in the first half, and all of a sudden, oh, Matt Manning's a you know top fifty prospect. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're upset about it, just hope that the players go out and do well. One of one of these Tigers prospects is going to take a big step up next year. That's just the way it goes yeah. uh, usually. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to jinx it. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the one of the things I enjoy is just because there's there are you know a handful of outlets now, you can kind of look at all the lists and compare them and sort of reverse engineer what they value and, and what's interesting to them. And and so we mentioned, you know, Fado didn't make a couple lists, but Baseball America, I think, had him in the 50 range. Yep, they had him in the 50th, yep. They, they like to place, they you know, they place a lot of value on their own draft rankings and things like that because, you know, they, Baseball America covers everything as, as, as deeply as they possibly can. So yeah. they're just kind of kind of iffy because they're still, you know, they're still sitting on that, that, uh, that amateur scouting report. Whereas, you know, you see someone like Keith Law, he's, he seems to be, oh, I don't want to say overly focused, but he, he does a lot. You'll, you'll notice in his comments a lot, Bill, he'll talk about like pitching or hitting mechanics. Yeah. And if, if there's a player that does something he doesn't particularly like, he really he really dings him for it. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm, I'm not, you know, there's, I'm not saying there's one right or wrong way. These people, as long as you, you stand by what you say, it's fine. Right. And if you're consistent, like, you know, you're probably not going to do any worse than anyone else. And, and that's still pretty much like a, <laughs> there's a lot of 50, 50 kind of guesses out there on yeah. things. But yeah, I remember, you know, Keith Law last year, you know, was like, you know, I don't like Manning because I don't like, you know, guys who throw a spike curveball. And, you know, mm-hmm. and that can kind of wipe out, you know, kind of a lot of people. <laughs> you know, Lance yeah, Miller throws, throws a spike curveball. You know, if you don't like that and you see that as a prospect, even if it's a, a you know, a good looking pitch to the eye, you know, you might think like, ah, you know, he's going to have more injury. You know, everybody has mm-hmm. their, their preferences for what they want in their, their players. Yeah. And, and the one thing, like you said, you know, Fangraphs articulates it pretty well. They have, it's kind of a cool two, two-pronged approach where they have, I think they, you know, and they had a chat today and, and they sort of admitted that, that Eric Longenhagen uh, prefers toolsy guys. And so you'll see Fangraphs really push up somebody like uh, Luis Robert yeah. and Jose Siri. I think they're the only people who have Jose Siri on, on a list, the, the Reds prospect. But then they have Kylie McDaniel, who seems to favor safer, lower-ceiling guys. So you'll see... They also have these sort of random infielders who aren't really on other lists just because they, they're probably going to stay on the dirt and make the majors. Like, uh, was it uh, Cole Tucker, I think, for the Pirates? Oh, yeah. And, and then they also have, like, just random, uh, not not random, I mean, they're still prospects, but it'd be like, you know, left-handed starting pitchers with a 50 fastball but a plus changeup. That just seems to be a profile they like. Yeah, so, I think Kylie McDaniel also said, you know, like he likes to see people repeat, you know, like, you know, take mm-hmm. a step forward and then re- and then repeat it, which kind of plays to the Tigers because they had a lot of a lot of their, you know, their better prospects kind of broke out this year, you know, like Daz Cameron or or whoever you want, yeah. Jake Rogers or Franklin Perez even. And and that's, you know, one of the most interesting things about all these lists is is that you'll see like Keith Law had uh he had Daz Cameron in his top 100, and Derek Hill just outside of it. Yeah, and nobody else did. And we've seen Jake Rogers sort of just outside the MLB.com uh, their list, and so the Tigers have they have a lot more lumps of clay than yeah. they did last year. They're not necessarily you know fully formed yet or, or fully weaponized, but <laughs> I, I would I would recommend Tigers fans not get too discouraged by these prospect rankings. Yeah. Exactly. And, no, don't, I mean, there's and don't, definitely be, been, don't be bothered when I freak out, that's for sure. Sorry, go ahead, Andy. No, I was going to say, there's definitely been moves uh, uh, like of the, the system as a whole up the chain. I think most places are saying it's up at least like four, like I want to say it was like 24th last year or something like that. And it's definitely climbing on the whole. So, I mean, it's, it's a good sign considering they really only started digging into this rebuild last season halfway through the year. Yeah. There's a lot yeah, of, and, and, I mean, you can kind oh, of look at like good, you know, there's like, you know, really good prospects. There's, you know, really fringy, like, ah, you know, maybe that guy has one or two tools that if they come along, he's got a shot. And then there's, you know, guys who are legit prospects. I don't know how many there are. Maybe there's, you know, 150. <laughs> the Tigers probably have like eight to 10 of those guys now. Um, any of whom, like you said, anybody takes a step you know, next year and has a good year, they could find themselves, you know, ranked 50 all over the place. Um, so yeah, it's more about, you know, it, what's nice about the tiger system right now is that there's, there's a bulk, there's, a, there's a surplus of actual legitimate prospects, all of whom have a chance to be above average players in the major leagues, even if that's not their likeliest outcome. So. Yeah, they, they've improved their overall talent and their depth and, and they still have a, a long way to go, but you know, they're going to have two of the top 
45 picks in this upcoming draft, a draft that looks pretty good. So there's there's no excuse for them to not get two guys that they can slide into their top 10 probably. And, uh, you know, they're going to need to start hitting on some more international players. They, they haven't had a great success rate with that. And, uh, and, and you know, maybe another trade or two. <laughs> like Willie Adamas. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, Willie Adamas and, you know, Suarez and, and Perez and Garcia all ended up, you know, having pretty good years. It's just, you know, several years after leaving the Tigers. Yep. So, Chad Green's turned out to be the way a goes uh, decent reliever over there for the Yankees. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's that's one of those things I never would have expected. He was, you know, I think we had like a 40 grade on him, which I guess t- technically he, he has become sort of a, a 40, you know, middle reliever, but he's gone beyond that and it's becoming sort of a super reliever. So Yeah, yeah, just based on but stuff. Yeah, he's definitely... Didn't see that coming. Yeah. Yep. But, of course, that one also worked out well because we traded him and got Justin Wilson, who we traded and got Isaac Paredes, who's really impressed a lot of people this year as, a, I think, mm-hmm. 18 or 19-year-old. And then you've you know, also picked up Heimer Candelario, who may be our third baseman of the future. We'll, we'll see how he uh, Brandon, comes back Brandon. up. Yeah. Jamer, we had this discussion. I know, but I want to call him Heimer. <laughs> Jamer. <laughs> I know, Jamer. You know, I think Paredes is still 18. I don't yeah. think he turns 18, 19 until later this month. Oh, okay, yeah. That's great. But okay, yes, I, I accept this correction. Jamer. I will, I will remember. I know you don't believe that it's supposed to be pronounced. If he's but... Jamer, then I have to make him a Portuguese. <laughs> oh, my God. But he said it, like, in interviews and stuff. I think he's, like, clarified. Yeah, he's just being nice to the gringos. <laughs> yes, white people do have a lot of trouble pronouncing Spanish words. White people and Portuguese words, yes. sorry. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, you know. Uh, well, he, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, you know, he'll be one of the 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 few sort of fun people to watch this year. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people's attention is going to be turned, you know, to the to the farm system. And you know, I'd encourage everybody out there who's interested to to get a Tigstown subscription because it's it's definitely well, worth reading. You. Yeah, for sure. I I always enjoy reading you guys' takes on things. Mark Anderson, Paul Wesner, you guys do a really good job over there. And you get like a lot more detailed perspective, especially on the guys who aren't like the top, you know, five or five or 10 guys, um, which really helps, you know, I I don't know how much Keith law, you know, would know about Eduardo Jimenez or, you know, (laughs) Gregory Soto perhaps even at this point. So yeah, yeah, it's very valuable for all that. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, Mark is the one who really digs deep in all that stuff. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we had Eduardo Jimenez on our list, I think two years ago. And then here he is getting added by the Tigers uh, to their forty-man roster, <laughs> yeah. which was kind of kind of shocking, but in the end, not really because you know he's one of those fast-moving relievers. Yeah, and as we kind of saw, I kind of wrote about this this week, but yeah, like as we saw last year, if you you know if if you find your command, you know the Tigers probably have you know fifteen arms who are all capable yeah. of jumping multiple levels. Um, Zach Reiniger and Joe Jimenez, obviously, yeah. and Hyrule Labord all did that last year, so. Unfortunately, Brian Garcia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank Garcia yeah, went that down. That doesn't look good. Well, we don't. Uh, he's still apparently waiting for the final verdict, but just get it done. Yeah, there's more uh, guys it's... messing with this, like you know the the PRP injections and all that, and it just it's more often than that. It seems like that just doesn't doesn't really work out. Yeah, that's the uh, the, the number ninety nine prospect on yeah. Fangraphs list is my wife's cousin, who uh, what? Yeah, Alex Kirilov from the Twins. Oh, really? He, uh, yeah, he, um, he was their first-round pick, I think, two years ago. He went out and won the uh, Appalachian League MVP 
over uh, the likes of Vlad Guerrero Jr. And then, but had late in the, the year, wow. late in the year, he uh, he's an outfielder. He pitched in high school though, and he he basically tore his elbow with an outfield throw, and they tried to rehab it, and it didn't work. And so he had to get Tommy John like last March, and so he missed all of 2017. It was just like, ah. yeah. You know, I understand that the, the desire to try to to try to uh, you know tough it out or go through it, but man, just. You know, you're losing a year and a half instead of just a year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you kind of got to look at the, the timetable. Like, if you're Brian Garcia, like, you know, just, just get it done. Because if you do, you know, you should be, you know, back and throwing and starting to get ready, you know, next next spring. You know, 2019 in the spring. But, but if you wait and mess around for three or four months, you know, yeah, by the time you get the surgery and come back, it's going to be 2020. And maybe you're pitching in the Arizona Fall League or something briefly, but... Yeah, it just seems like at this point the the odds just aren't good enough to really justify not not getting the surgery. And well, with the I, rush to get to the Tigers. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I mean, like, if he doesn't need the surgery, he shouldn't oh, sure, get the yeah. surgery. I think yeah. that's the one caveat. But I mean, he's going to see Doctor Andrews, and if I part of me feels like Doctor Andrews' default is like, let's cut you open. <laughs> um, but I also know that he I, he's not going to suggest it if it's not necessary. So. It's yeah. good that he's going to see the best in the but the business, but it's most likely like nine point five times out of ten going to end in Tommy John. Yeah, you gotta oh, yeah, think we can, there's we can a serious tear. Yeah, you gotta at least think there's well, a pretty good UCL tear though to to even get to this point. So I don't know. Well, I remember a couple of years ago it was it was Masahiro Tanaka. Yeah, she, I thought for sure he was going down, and, and he hurt his elbow and apologized to his teammates in a very Japanese way. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, he came back without ever getting surgery. So I was like, well, all right. But I do think the Yankees have some sort of weird arm mojo magic going on over there. Yeah, they seem to burn out a lot of arms, but they also uh, they also seem to get them back on the mound a lot faster than some other people. Yeah. I'm not sure how they pull, pull that off. And I'm also, I would like to know if Tanaka's UCL is still torn. Like, does that heal? I mean, I know there's some healing that's possible, but it's kind of odd that I, it's like, yeah, it's torn, but, you know, until it breaks, I'm good. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I don't know if they, I don't think they did any surgical procedures. Maybe they went in there and put in some mesh or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think but, they just gave him the injections and, and called it good. You know, like whatever that is, yeah. the plasma rich injections or whatever. I know. You know, like a lot of these guys, like I just keep thinking, like, hey, you know, just just let them take the year off and you know take whatever HGH and steroids they need, get yeah. the arm back. I mean, you're already like taking a, we've already taken ligaments out of dead bodies and put in there. Like, oh, steroids, this is too horrible for this. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, steroids illegal. Cow heart, fine. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you're clean by the time you're pitching, I really, I just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the, the, you know, Keith Law was definitely one of the the more interesting ones, and I just kind of wanted to bring him up because I I kind of wrote about that and was talking about the way you know prospect writers kind of evaluate like a guy's path to to the major league mm-hmm. or multiple paths, and and I just thought it was really interesting that he had Jake Rogers ranked as the fifteenth prospect in the tiger system but also had Derek hill ranked number three despite the fact that each of them draw you know really high grades for their defense like Derek hill obviously draws like elite grades for his defense but neither of them has really hit that much jake rogers is is older and a little more established um it seems like both of them have a pathway that is based on defense that is going to get both of them to the major leagues at least in a backup role um, so, do you have any thoughts on, on on how you get all the way to three with Derek Hill? <laughs> uh, I I don't because I, I I mean I would think because with Rogers at least there's also some raw power there, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I guess you could say with with Hill there's also the the speed, 
but you got to get on base to to use that speed. Uh, also, know, a lot of injuries, a lot of injury risk too. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's you know, I I've always liked Derek Hill as a prospect, and I could understand thinking he has the ceiling of the number three prospect in the system, but but to rank him uh, there over some of the other guys he ranked him didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Other than maybe he's just a big believer in the hit tool. I, I mean. Yeah, I've never seen anybody project Derek Hill to more than a fifty-grade hit tool, um, at least not since like you know he was drafted. So I, I don't. I mean, it's true. if he becomes a an average hitter playing plus plus defense with plus plus speed, I think that's a really good player. But it seems like the odds of that happening are a lot steeper than Jake Rogers, uh, you know, becoming a below average hitter with plus defense and you know plus raw power. Yeah, because that's going to get you. That's going to get you a starting job on a lot of teams, and at very mm-hmm. least, you know, a backup role. Whereas there's, you know, Derek Hill's defense is great, but there are a lot of you know fast outfielders out there who can't can't hit really. Yeah, it's not a, not a super scarce profile. I also, you know, it's also interesting, and I've, you know, I I was happy to see Derek Hill get some love because I I certainly haven't given up on Derek Hill um, as a prospect, mm-hmm. but. He also missed, you know, two thirds of the season coming back from, you know, his Tommy John surgery rehabilitation as an outfielder. And, you know, he looked bigger. Like there was some signs that like, Mm -hmm. it looked like he was in better shape than he had, um, had been beforehand, but he only got, I think 180, 190 ABs before the season ended anyway. So, yeah. And, and, you know, that's one of those things. These are always just sort of snapshots in time and we don't necessarily know how much, these evaluators are basing basing their uh, rankings on their own viewings, or how much they're basing them on talking to scouts or other you know front office people. So it, it could be that Keith Law sat on a GCL Tigers series when when Derek Hill was coming back and was really impressed with what he saw, and that sort of uh, you know stuck in his mind. It's it's tough to know. Yeah. Yep, it really is. It's, it's just, you know, it, it is really, they really are just all subjective opinions. And as you said earlier, some of the most interesting parts of it is just trying to like, to, just to kind of like piece out what the rationales are, you know, from different, different people rather than getting, you know, irate because Daz Cameron is 86th here and not ranked here and all, the, all that sort of thing. Um, in the end, this will all, all play out the way it plays out and we'll, we'll find out this season. So I guess there you go, you know. Follow yeah. uh, find your, follow your local minor league coverage a little more closely. <laughs> It'll yeah, save you know, some it, pain it, with the Tigers. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it should be fun this year to watch the minors. There, there's a lot of interesting players, at least, to, to follow their progress. And I don't know. I mean, it's always been fun for me. And I'm looking forward to starting to cover the draft pretty soon, too. Yeah, well, that's your big thing, for sure. <laughs> and all the coverage yeah. is coming back your way now, Chris. Like, you know, when you're toiling away yeah. covering the minor leagues in the Tiger system in 11, 2012, pretty yeah. bleak. <laughs> Kevin Zomek. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I, you know, I've, I've got a, a piece coming out soon about uh, I went back and looked at all the drafts since 1997. Uh, the top 45 players from each draft to try to figure out patterns and, and who was uh, like, what, what's the, the, best pick to make and the riskiest pick and all that stuff and so hopefully that'll be coming out soon i have to finish it but yeah oh that's interesting yeah i love when you go crazy like this and do some huge <laughs> some super huge piece like that i'm glad i'm glad someone other than me likes, uh, likes that it is some thankless research my friend good job <laughs> oh, God, i've got i've got the average average war per season from every damn player and yeah oh wow really yeah oh that's yeah. going deep well you know it kind of um there was one one of those things where it's like 
who who saw a player win kind of came up with Ronaldo Rivera, who the Tigers took in mm-hmm. the second round. And, you know, they overdrafted a little bit to, to save some money to get Sam McMillan, but they took him in the second round. You know, you can think of him as a third rounder, I guess, if you want to. But Eric Langenhagen from Fangraphs was mentioning that, you know, the Tigers may have just had data on him that, that no other team had had. Had you heard of that before? Did you Was that something that you guys had considered at all? You know, I, I hadn't heard that, but he did. I think they played the... Uh, Chipola. What is it? Yeah, the junior college championship I think was played at Joker Martian Stadium. Ah, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so it's possible that they have some, you know, tech there that allowed them to say, "Well, this guy, you know, look at the exit velocities on this guy" or something like that. Um, I do remember he murdered the baseball in that series. Like, I think his OPS was like something like fourteen hundred. Yeah, I mean, he, he had a monster season. It, yeah. it uh, you know, it, in I think. I haven't seen too many people killing him yet for his his bad pro debut, but a lot of people are kind of skeptical based on based on you know they thought he was an overdraft and then he went out and didn't perform. Yeah, but the the you know it's seventy grade raw power, so if he can figure it out, they might have something there. It just seems pretty pretty risky, and uh, yeah, I don't. I'm a little bit skeptical, but I I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the, this season to see what happens. Yeah, do you have any impression like do you, where you think he's gonna gonna play this year? You think he'll be with the Whitecaps or he's he's what nineteen? Um, gonna be twenty this year? I think. I think he's twenty. I I wouldn't be shocked if they hold him back and give him the New York Penn League again. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of who else might see they. Uh, what's the name? Is it Juan Soto? No, no, he's a prospect. Who am I thinking of? Oh, Jose Cuero or Quiero. He's another first base type prospect that they really like who can hit and so it's gonna be interesting to see how they deal with with him and Rivera and I guess you know technically Rivera is an outfielder I'm not sure how long I'll buy that but yeah they seem to I want could, that anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah I could see them I could see them plopping him in right field at uh at uh West Michigan and, and giving him a chance at least for the beginning of the year what you don't want to do is send a guy there for two months and then have to send him down to the New York Penn League but uh yeah, yeah, that's a blow to the confidence if, like, two years in a row, like, he's kind of gotten a start in short season ball and, and couldn't handle it last year, and then you put him in A ball this year and he struggles. Yeah, it's... Then then you yeah, kind of so. wonder if you've kind of burnt him out a little bit. You, ha- you do have to wonder, like, when somebody goes that sour, like, over, you know, not a very, you know, like, two months worth of time, whether or not, like, it was it was mental to some degree. You know, like, I always, I always think that with a young guy, like, maybe it just overwhelmed him. He didn't expect to get drafted or what have you. Yeah, and these are guys, you know, they're coming off a college season, and junior college season is still fairly long. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of the Tigers draftees last year didn't have particularly stellar pro debuts. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's tough to, to say anything based on uh, based on that first sort of couple months. It's, it's one of those things where, like, if they perform well, you say, hey, that's good. Like, you know, Mike Gerber <laughs> had a really good uh, pro debut in, in up in – Connecticut, I think it was. I think they were at Connecticut at that point. And so that put him kind of on the map. But if he hadn't had a pro debut and still put up numbers in West Michigan, people would have been like, hey, this guy's kind of interesting. So, Yeah. But, yeah, it can kind of tip your per- perception, like whether or not you have expectations or whether this guy just kind of comes out of mm-hmm. nowhere and everybody's like, oh, this is great. Did yeah. you – um? 
let's see. Did you? I was going to ask you about Matt Manning just because. Um, I mean, I talked to him and interviewed him a couple weeks ago, and like he's kind of the one who I think is is sort of out of the Tigers' best prospects has has kind of been the most controversial. Um, I mean, coming off coming off the year he had, how do you how do you kind of perceive him at this point? Yeah, I like that interview by the way. Um, Thanks. Y- you know, I I still view him as the guy with the highest ceiling in the Tiger system. It's it's hard not to when he's you know you got an athletic kid with uh, who's who's shown the velocity in the past, and he's got a, a curveball that I'm I'm a little bit skeptical about the curveball playing at higher levels, but I'm also uh, willing to uh, accept that he might be able to continue developing it because he's young, yeah, and very raw, yeah. Um, younger even than his yeah, age it, in baseball terms. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's kind of, it, it depends on how you look at it. I, I guess they're piston fans. This is just to, to make a, a sort of uh, random sport <laughs> comparison. Piston fans are very kind of bummed out that the Pistons took Luke Kennard this year and passed over this kid named uh, Donovan Mitchell, who looks like a future ball NBA player. And, and I kind of look at the Tigers and go, you know, Forrest Matt Manning's, yeah, Matt Manning's pretty cool, but Forrest Whitley was there. Yeah, but you know, I wasn't saying it at the time. You know, people were saying like, if they don't, when you see somebody picked in the top ten, your expe- expectations are that they're going to, you know, mow down minor league hitters and move through the system pretty quickly, and and that's just, it's just not the profile of Matt Manning yet. Um, what what he does this year will be really interesting. If he if he, you know, I, I'm sure he. I think what he said he wanted to to go to Lakeland, right? Yeah, which I, I don't blame him. Uh, don't know if they'll challenge him like that. I think they might send him back to West Michigan at least for a couple couple months. But if he's pitching well in Lakeland at the end of the year and the stuff looks good, I don't. Uh, you know, I, mean, I think that's pretty much right on track with what you expect for a high school pitcher. Yeah, I mean, I think I guess the thing that surprised me is that some of the valuations I thought were di- didn't really take into account like how just how raw he was like. A lot of people who really, you know, really kind of raved about the pick then turned around a year later and were like, ah, you know, this guy's got a lot of work to do. (laughs) It's sort of like, well, yeah, I mean, that was kind of, that's kind of the bargain. You know, this is sort of a long, long play here, you know, to hope that, you know, three, four years down the road, you know, a couple, there have been a couple levels up where things clicked for him. And, and yeah, I mean, we know the fastball is pretty, pretty potent as it is. Um, You would still like to see him, you know, he kind of, you know, he talked to me about, you know, kind of having a lot of, you know, a lot of mechanical thoughts in his, in his head coming out of um, extended spring training and not really letting it go. And I know, you know, like some scouts are going to hear that and just be like, oh, that's, you know, that's a bunch of nonsense. Like you got to, you got to throw hard to throw harder. <laughs> like that's the only way it's mm-hmm. going to work. But I definitely got the impression that he was still kind of feeling his way um, early on. And I, I just think, you know, that's, that's kind of to be expected. And I don't really, I didn't really come away from this past season with any, any changed impression of him at all, other than like, you know, we're going to have to gonna have to see how it goes this year and i would i would kind of suspect too that you know the tigers were really careful with him last year um they'll they'll turn him loose a little more in terms of innings but it's still hard to see him pitching much over 100 innings even this year um Mm -hmm. you know he's he's a project and they're bringing him up carefully which i think is to their credit so we'll see how he does but i I have to imagine he's going to be at extended spring training again for like a month and maybe if he looks great there they'll just say hey you know lakeland you know lakeland bam you're right here already yep so we'll see how yeah, it I mean, goes, but he's going to be interesting. There's, yeah, it, it, it's sort of basic stuff. He needs to, you know, he needs to find a delivery where he's comfortable, where he can get to his release point, and where he likes what the, you know, stuff is doing out of his hand. And I don't know that's that's stuff that 
even you know more polished guys are working on that stuff. You know, Bo Burrows has been working on his. He was kind of more over the top coming out of high school, and he's a little more three quarters now. So guys make adjustments as as they go, and yeah. uh, people forget. You know, Bo Burrows he had a really good year, but the year before was was kind of alarming. <laughs> he wasn't striking anybody out in low A. Mm-hmm. It was like, ah, oh, geez, what's up with this? You know, it, sometimes you know development it takes. Uh, a long and windy path, and you mentioned earlier. You know, it depends on when you saw Manning. Uh, when he started pitching, we were getting reports on him putting him in as a seventh inning reliever, um, <laughs> as his future. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, toward the end of the year, like you said, you know, he had a couple really, really good starts at the end of West Michigan. People would go, "Okay, I see it. I see it now." Yep. So, you know, depends on when you see him, and depends on how quickly he can get to that consistency. Yeah, and it also, I mean, and that right there, that just kind of illustrates, you know, how hard it is to to grade an entire country's worth of prospects and and to see anybody regularly and and to really, you know, even with all the contacts people have, you know, there's still a lot of um, there's still a lot of guesswork and sort of waiting to see what happens in a lot of players. I I did like you know the season Burroughs had. I thought, you know, like you said, he he kind of changed to a little bit more of a three quarters delivery, which seemed to play a little better with the slider, which I've, I've definitely seen some people mm-hmm. kind of noting that the slider took some steps, um, needs more consistency, but looked pretty good this year. And then, you know, he changed kind of the, you know, his foot strike, like the, the landing position that he's in, um, you know, and that's in his second full season. There's, there's still a lot going on there, a lot of moving parts. And, um, you know, you could say like he handled all that really well and pitched really well, but a lot of other people, and we saw Longenhagen, I think say this was, you know, we want to see, you know, kind of how those mm-hmm. changes affect his stuff long-term. So, you know, there's a lot of conservatism out there. It would have been nice, you know, when it comes down to that fan graphs list, I just would have liked to seen, like, one guy that they were really willing to go to bat for. <laughs> that would have made me feel yeah. a little better, but... Yeah, for sure. I mean, you want you want to see guys ranked higher. <laughs> that's just the way... But, that, that unfortunately, that's... I know you talked about this on my show with, with Roger, was that... that the Tigers just don't have any... They have a lot of solid prospects right now, but they don't have any of those guys that look like true impact players yet. Yeah. Uh, and that may come soon, but it's just, you know, the, like you said, there's nobody to really go to bat for right now. You go, this guy is a no-doubt stud. Um, you know, I'm, I'm higher on Isaac Paredes than a lot of people, but you know, he, he he might not be anything more than a, you know, second division infielder. So mm-hmm. it's, it's tough to say right now. We'll, we'll, we'll see in a couple months. Yep. And that's all there is to do. (laughs) Got to give them time and see how it goes. The old wait and see approach. Yeah. And, you know, and this is, you know, this is one of the reasons we've been focusing on this so much at Blushy Boys is is just because that's what everyone's interested in. But it's also just such a huge adjustment, you know, period for for a lot of Tiger fans. You know, there's there's a lot of people out there who follow the minor leagues all along. Um, This is all Mm -hmm. standard stuff. But there's there's definitely a lot of people out there who are finding themselves, you know, catching some whiplash from trying to just even follow the terminology. And, you know, what does this ranking stuff mean? So, yeah, it's good to get on him. I'm glad to have you on as as well and kind of break all this down a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I, I love talking about prospects. You know that I like I joked before, I'll talk about prospects of any kind. Yeah. <laughs> Movie director prospects, NASCAR prospects. <laughs> Who's the up and coming hot new actresses and yeah. The, the the best young trees in the neighborhood. I'm good. <laughs> there's a there's a mighty fine oak down the block. Yeah. Oh, nice. Sturdy. Gotta cut birch. them in the winter though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess we're going to find out tomorrow. Huh? Looks like looks like in Michigan anyway. This the snow is going to kick oh. back in. How are things in uh, Winnipeg? Real quickly, just to check in. Effing cold. Yeah, <laughs> like too cold for snow. 
cold? Oh, yeah. It's been a really weird winter here. Not that anybody cares about Manitoba's winter uh, weather, Um, but it hasn't snowed a lot at all. Like, we've had snow, but I'm used to way more of it and having to have it cleared way more often. Normally, we have, like, these six to eight foot snow drifts from where it gets plowed off the road. Yeah. And we just haven't had that this year, so it's just been cold, and that's it. Yeah. Whew, when, does when, when does winter end up there? <laughs> Never. <laughs> um, usually we'll have snow through March into the beginning of April. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's not too much different from here, but, you know, you, you guys are kind of in that wind belt, too. So, yeah, it can be a little nasty. As far as I'm concerned, though, the second February ends, winter is over. Like it's yeah. it's an absolute like psychological game I play on myself, but it's the second that like February is done, I'm like cool, spring is here. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's gotta come soon. It's gotta happen eventually. This, so this is, this is all because I mean, that's of why truck we all day. love baseball, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. The you know truck day happens and pitchers and catchers report, and we're all like, hey, let's go, let's go outside and throw the old ball around. It's like, oh hell no. <laughs> There's still a foot of snow on the ground, and we're freezing to death. We got another month to go, at least. Yeah, I know. I was, I was hoping we were planning on going down to Florida, but my my wife got a new job, so we couldn't do it. Oh, but that's all right. But it's a, I'll listen on the radio. Yeah, she's happy with the new job, though. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's awesome. So it's all so. for the best. I may still yeah. sneak down there, like beginning of March. Uh, my parents are down there, um, staying in Fort Myers, and I, I keep thinking oh, I'm going to just buy a ticket and just go down for a couple of days and drive up to Lakeland and see what's what. I'm going in May. That's awesome. Yeah, you're going to Miami, I'm right? Excited. Miami, oh, Tampa Bay, and Atlanta. I'm doing a full road trip up. Good deal. Oh wow! How many ballparks yeah. do you have, Ashley? Uh, I've got 14 right now, so this will get me up to 17. Oh, that's pretty good. Nice. I'm at. Uh, Five. <laughs> I got a long way to go. And one of the I try to like specifically plan my vacations so that I can get like a bulk of trips in one go, like a bulk of stadiums in one go. So like last like a year ago, or I guess it was almost two years ago now, I did both Chicago stadiums, which I've already been to, and then Milwaukee. So it was like a little three oh, cool. thing in there. And then when I was in uh, California one year I got four out of the five stadiums done so oh that's sweet so you've been to at t yeah. and stuff oh that's awesome yeah I've done at t the only one I haven't done is Petco in San Diego so that's the only uh, California park I'm missing do you get the ice cream helmets no <laughs> well, I collect that's... pins at every stadium oh, cool. so I get like a little enamel pin at every stadium I've been to and depending on the team I might pick up a t-shirt or something Depending on how cool. Yeah. Well, usually it's if it's an NL team, I'll grab a shirt because I'm less like team devoted on the NL side. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes you just see a fun looking one, or it's a player you like, so you'll grab something. Yeah. Yeah. When you're in Tampa, you're probably going nuts, right? Oh well, it's the 20th anniversary for the Rays season oh, this wow. year. They're unveiling a new logo um, tomorrow, which is like the combo current Rays flash and the old school Devil Ray Ray. Oh, sweet. So they're releasing like hats and everything. It's gonna look so friggin' cool. So yes, my poor credit card when I get to Tampa <laughs> will be in in bad condition. I think I actually might get to do do one of the games from the press box there, which will be fun too. Oh, right on. Yeah, if it's yeah. cool enough, you can wear your DJ Kitty onesie. Yes, I'm sure they'll love that in the press box <laughs> in Tampa. Just like, yeah, okay, we'll let this crazy woman in. For yeah, sure. from what I've seen from Tampa Bay's MLB writers, they're all out of their mind anyway. I'm still holding that Verlander <laughs> thing against him. Yeah. 
Does Verlander exist? Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Only guy. AL East pitchers exist. Yep. That Rick Porcello kid. Mm, boy, he's got moxie. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap it up. Chris, uh, I'm going to, um, if I can cut something in here, I'm going to try to play a little bit of Jay Dilla because I believe today oh. is the, the 15th or 16th anniversary of uh, Master Jay Dilla's death. Um, famous Detroit producer of a great many hip hop legendary wrong. acts. Yep. Yep. I think it was, I think it was 2002 or three. Man. Yeah, but worked yeah. with yeah the Roots, Common, the Far Side, innumerable other greats, Arca Badu, Tribe, yeah. Tribe, yeah. So we'll try to uh, we'll try to put a little cut in there. And if you don't know who that is, and you're a Detroiter, you should find out who Jay Dilla is. All right, that's gonna do it for this episode of the Bless You Boys podcast. Um, thank you, Chris, for coming on. Um, I'll repay you guys, or Ashley will fairly soon, and come on the <laughs> Tigers SRD podcast. Which you yeah, should all check out. Yeah, we both have been. So we're, yeah, we're, we're no strangers to SRD, neither Brandon nor myself. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Yeah, you too, man. Yeah, hopefully uh, we'll get together with you and Roger and hit some games with Mr. Garash this summer. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a plan to me, yeah. yeah. It's always fun. Yeah, it really is. It's, uh, it's quite, a, quite a gathering <laughs> when we get together. Uh, Ashley, thanks a lot for being on, as always. Everybody go always. check out Ashley's stuff at Hardball Times and Fangrass and like D-Rays Bay and Bless You Boys and local <laughs> bookstores near you. <laughs> I'm everywhere. That's all the shame. All right, guys. I thanks a lot. I never sleep. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Bye.